0: Healthy and unique foods are more popular today than ever before, and that's largely in part to today's guest who got started in the food industry 30 years ago selling croutons with his brother. Fast forward to today and they've gone far beyond selling croutons using their family recipe. They're one of Canada's largest food distributors, have launched cannabis brands with a tragically hip, and now, just like almost everyone else it seems this year, have gotten into e-commerce. Peter Neal is one half of the Neal Brothers, and as you'll hear, like me, he's a visionary founder. When his friends were buying their first cars in their early 20s, he was driving around in a van trying to get to a million dollars in sales. And now, I'm trying to get to a million downloads. There's no high like hitting that milestone of one million, whatever your metric is. However, as you'll hear throughout this episode, it's not all highs.
1: You know, I got married in 93 and my T4 was $6,500 and I bought a ring for my wife from Burks and I had to take a three month payment plan and I defaulted on the third one. I think up until several years ago, all of our credit cards are still in my wife's name because of that credit rating.
0: The lows can be low too, but we all persevere through them. And one of the things that can help get us through the tough times is knowing the difference that we can make, which I think is so incredibly important as a founder going beyond downloads or sales, what are you doing to make the world a better place? Peter and I talk about some of the differences we're making to support causes very near and dear to both of our hearts, like mental health and addressing food shortages and food insecurity. Here's my conversation with my mentor, friend, and one half of the Neil brothers, Peter Neal, on the Rolled Up Podcast. I'll let you, Pete, explain everything that you do. I I have that as sort of my first show note because you have been around as as long as I have since 1988, going from making gourmet croutons and keeping up with that trend to all the way shifting now with cannabis as well as non-alcohol or de-alcoholized beers and beverages. And so you've always done a great job of staying on top of trends on the professional side, but I'd love to hear your much more eloquent version of your journey that, uh, that brought us together.
1: Oh, happy to do that. And, uh, nice to be engaged with you here, Lucas, uh, I know you and I have both shared uh, a lot of what life means and the struggles from day to day and what, um, the added layer of complexity that COVID has added to our lives. And so many of us, uh, so many around us, certainly a lot of the people, that I look up to and work with and my mentees and uh, family members. So, yeah, I'm glad we're having this conversation. You know, I'm not sure how far you want to go back, but I, I can tell you in 1988 at the uh, ripe age of about uh, 20 years old or 21 years old, mm-hmm. really I was stalled at university, loving it at Bishop's University, but um, I didn't see a completely clear path. I think my, my dad thought I'd maybe go into finance and follow in his footsteps, and that wasn't for me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I thought to be v- completely transparent, I thought, uh, I would launch a, a food company cause I love food and I'm passionate about it. And that singularly, um, I'd create this dynamic unicorn of a product that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> would, would have, would have me retired at 25 and I'd be driving fancy sports cars or something. Of course, you, you always hear
0: the story or, or see whomever and you're, you're thinking that, wow, they can do it. It can't be that hard. Just come up with a great product. It'll sell itself.
1: And it, hey, look, I fell victim to, I think at the time, like many do and still do, you know, that societal understanding of what success means and how I envision it uh, changed vastly after the age of 25 and not retiring and uh, not having uh had this incredible, you know, idea and this incredible execution, this incredible success by the age of 25. Um, and what's interesting now is I think over the last 15, 20 years, you know, my understanding of success is, um, you know, without sounding cliche or silly is, has really broadened more to, you know, what can we do for our communities? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm certainly proud of the success I've had as a, as a dad and a friend and a mentor to, I think 250 to 300 and counting. Wow. Mentees over the last uh, 10, 12 years. So it's, Something I picked up, I was asked to help some people a number of years ago. I liked it, and I think maybe word spread a little bit. And
0: um, Well, that's what happens when uh, when you do such a good job.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I, uh, I like to think that we've had successes amongst some of the folks I've worked with, and it's felt good. Uh, you know, it's incredibly enriching, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, our business uh, started off as a, as a product, as croutons, and and uh, it was really more of a test, you know, keep it simple, stupid. It, it was a litmus test, really. Do, do I want to work with my brother? Do I want to be in food? You know, after a couple of years, we checked a lot of boxes and carried on with the business. And, we you know, we've obviously subsequently added all sorts of different products of our own under the Neil Brothers brand and very proudly helped build some amazing Canadian and U.S. iconic food brands that were trending into the natural food world. And then um, certainly we were bang on, right in the, in the sweet spot target of where consumer trending was going with natural and organic food. So we've been a big player in that in Canada. And as I said, helping to unearth products from uh, mainly North America, but from around the world and introducing really interesting, exciting new brands and the people behind them. And um, here at the uh, ripe age of 53, feeling you know really accomplished, feeling really happy about what we've built. and uh, looking forward to continuing with our Neil Brothers team, working with my brother Chris and um, seeing what else Neil Brothers, the brand can unearth. I'm really proud of our new dealkalized beer for sure, a whole new technique and a whole new way of de oh, cool beer.
0: And I'd love to learn a little bit more about that because so just I stopped drinking about a year and a half ago, so I've just been trying to find every dealkalized beer. And I think it's really amazing to see that innovation in an industry that maybe, Gets really thought of after the fact. Uh, now Budweiser and Heineken have been, the big players have been getting into it. And I think Heineken said by introducing a de beer, their sales went up about 7%. So not insignificant by any stretch, but it's been really interesting just tasting the difference because traditionally it just kind of felt like you would make some beer, boil off the alcohol, and then just try to uh, recarbonate it. So I'd love to just know or just hear a little bit more about that process of how you continue to innovate the the products some some 30 years later and really staying excited about not just uh, the the core business, which is now distribution, but coming out with new innovative products and, and really pushing through because I think that's one of the key themes of what we wanted to talk about was just as an entrepreneur, it can be really lonely sometimes. You can just go through uh, patches where you're just really down and the highs are great. But there are some really low spots where it can be a struggle when you have suppliers waiting on you, when you have employees, and if you just, you can't be unwell some days because you have so many people relying on you, or at least it feels that way. So I'd love to uh, just hear about how that you... Just a little bit of R and D into that process, and then really talk about some of the ways that giving back and celebrating the wins can can really help other entrepreneurs as as we all go through this journey. And especially now when it is November, I've done November probably eight or nine times over the years, and I know that you're uh, that you're doing it as well. So it's just it's a great excuse to to bring up some conversations that maybe we should all be having a little bit more commonly throughout
1: the year. Yeah, well, that that's a that's a loaded bunch of questions, and I'll do my best. To-
0: <laughs> well, well, that was sort of going going over the 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 entire twenty minutes or so. So it's twenty minutes uh, of of answers in one minute of question.
1: All right. Well, I will. Uh, I'll give you a quick run through, and and I like to say, you know, uh, at this age as well, you know, uh, starting to realize that um, I think about ten or fifteen years ago, realizing that. Uh, Neither me or my brother can can do everything. Um, we've got our skill sets, and you know, and I affectionately call them my superpowers now. And we've all got our superpowers. For me, it's been uh, vision. I've had um, this ability, this prescience, I guess, if you will, to see and understand trends and understand how certain products could work into you know today's consumer. And for us, speaking mainly about Canada and target on on Eastern Canada, but that's been something that's really worked well for us. Um, I'm also an incredible sales guy, and I'm a warm, sort of compassionate, uh, probably higher EQ than IQ.
0: Which, again, going through the trends uh, and really using your EQ, the, the latest trend in all the sales trending is uh, Chris Voss, uh, never split the difference, using tactical empathy, he calls it, to really understand what your buyer is, is going through.
1: Yeah, it's huge, right? Being able to read uh, a buyer on many different levels, uh, what they're looking for what their sweet spot is and, and dear yourself to that uh, buyer and understand, you know, it's gotta be done in a genuine way, but deal line. Uh, And sometimes uh, when you don't it, for someone like me, who's, you know, pretty sensitive, (laughs) that can be tough. It certainly fuels me to work harder and, you know, we can get into it a little little bit, but um, you know, having come out of a severe mental illness last fall, between that and getting stronger than being hit by COVID, you know, uh, the sensitive, side, but also the very competitive side of me dug deep and felt like a badger in a corner. And I I really struck out to achieve, you know, and work harder and become, uh, have more successes and and work with different people. But, um, you know, go back to the early 90s, you know, we had had seen tortilla chips, um, Mexican style tortilla chips trending really well. But if you walked into a store in the early 90s, you know, the only tortilla chips, really corn based, not masa flour based, but you know, stone ground corn-based tortilla chips were in the Mexican section. Can you believe it? There was a, you know, an ethnic section uh, and, and you'd go to that section to get uh, corn chips and they, they're industrial style. They were made with all sorts of horrible uh, hydrogenated oils, etc. And, you know, we found this uh, Mexican family in Toronto who were, producing, you know, really good, high quality chips, but they said, you know, no one understands it. No one gets it. No one wants a, a big family bag and they don't want it in the mainstream section of the store. And they, they don't get the fact that, um, you know, you, you, you know, we, we could work with better oils and, and, and we also have this thing called an organic blue chip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we used to put that in stores and people wonder what food coloring we'd used, the, uh, all sorts of guesses, you know, um, had we burned them a little bit longer or cooked them a little bit longer. So they were, they'd gone almost black, but. Yeah, you know, we really were pioneers in that sense. We were mm-hmm. out well before anything from free delay in the mainstream section, and we moved product out of ethnic section, convinced higher end stores like the Pusateris and the Summerhill and Brunos of the of the day that this was a product that um, I think we thought consumers were going to embrace, and um, they weren't looking for something necessarily pigeonholed into into an ethnic section. So, and we've done that with a number of products. You know, our salsas are all locally made, for the most part, locally you know, sourced organic ingredients. And we were doing something a little bit different at the time. Our salsas have certainly evolved from more of that ketchup style back in the early 90s to what it is today, which is, I think, uh, far closer to a, maybe a South uh, southern US or Tex-Mex mm-hmm. flavor. And seriously, you know, very proud of that. So, you know, in doing all this, My brother and I were brought up in a family that that gave back to the community on many different levels, and that's always been integral to who we are. It's not just uh, taking, it's giving and, you know, served on a number of boards in Toronto. Um, And then, you know, about 15 years ago, found this thing called the Stop Community Food Centre that was being run by a guy named Nick Saul. Nick then turned it into community food centres and replicated that model of this amazing community centre that served food and allowed people who were in need to come and sit down and feel like they had, that they were loved and they were fed an amazing meal by a chef with organic ingredients, sourced locally and really turning the, as much as anything, turning the typical food bank model on its head. And this, again, this really resonated with Chris and I. Um, It wasn't a simple concept. It was a challenge, which we both love. And we've helped to push that uphill and be uh, a strong part of what community food centres across Canada are all about today. And it's not limited to that. We, you know, we're, we're busy in all sorts of different ways and, uh, in terms of our give. And as I said, um, I, I usually speak to at least two folks uh, a week who are either new and up-and-coming aspiring food entrepreneurs or current mentees that I have. Uh, and I take a great deal of, of satisfaction. And you know, there's a lot of learning that can happen on my side. So there's a bit of a selfish bent to it too. And mm-hmm. some of those people who come to speak to me end up in our distribution system as well. And, and gosh, that feels really good to go full circle and watch them smile from you know you because you've seen it from concept and you know guidance and suggestions and um right through to you know their product coming into our into our warehouse and them watching as we build it from store to store to store and from a, a dollar to a million dollars and that's super super satisfying it's a really cool experience actually
0: that's the second time that I've heard you mention a million dollars. The the first time was the first time that we met, which it was only two years ago, but it feels like a decade with, uh, <laughs> with with everything that's that's happened. We've been both both been through. Like I had to check it that it was actually only 2018 and not 2016 or 15. Oh my
1: god, COVID's added ten years to everybody. <laughs> oh
0: man, and just I had a rough few months in the fall of 2019 as well. So I think that, that between us. We're probably closer to our 80s by, by now, but uh, <laughs> where I was going with that. So so just two thoughts before COVID, I was traveling around the world. And if you see my Instagram story and the name of the podcast, I like to eat around the world. And so I've had a lot of salsas and yours is holds your own with the best of the best from Texas, California, around the world. I don't know if there's anything better, but definitely... I would be comfortable recommending a Neil Brothers salsa to any other restaurants that, that I've had a burrito in. So top, top notch products as well, and Another item that I wanted to add in was, I remember how vividly you described it, that when you first started with you and your brother, I I think you'd bought a used truck uh, and you were doing the sales because you were better at it and you'd go in and sell the vision and you had on the flip of the dash of (laughs) the, uh, you know where it's going on the flip down sun visor, you had $1 million in sales because you knew that if you hit a million dollars, you'd be able to make it. And I think that even today, that metric is just so, so powerful of just getting to a million of something whether it's downloads uh, uh, of your podcast a million page views being in uh, a million units sold or absolutely uh, a million dollars with regardless of of inflation so what would you say to entrepreneurs who are maybe haven't had that success yet and how did your definition of success change after you hit that goal is it as you grew
1: Oh, well, yeah, I think we all need, you know, it's super important to all have goals, right? And and for me, that number, and that was 31 or so years ago, And it was, um, you know, I wrote it in pen on a piece of paper and taped it onto that visor. It just said a million dollars or bust. And, um, you know, we were probably, you know, it took us many years to get to a million dollars. It seemed like uh, a number that we just couldn't hit. And that number, relatively speaking would could be slightly different now and 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 slightly different for every entrepreneur in terms of what industry or what um you know if they're in food what kind of margin they're talking about but for us we you know we quickly realized that um you know a million dollars in sales was was wonderful target to hit and we and it felt good I think it was a bit of a an aha moment where we we said you know i think I think we've got enough traction we can keep going but then as you as you quickly realize you know are you making any money at a million? Where's your margins? Um, are you going to be in a position to be able to hire more talent so that you can get that next level? Are you going to be able to hire more folks to come on board to lighten the load so you don't um, die of exhaustion? And those things be- start to become more and more clear and more and more important and, and uh, as much or more of a focus as everything else. And I think it's interesting. You know, my dad always would say. Uh, when you're cleaning windows, you know, you focus on the on the corners and the middle will take care of itself. And I think when you're focused on different elements of the business and, and you're putting the the nuts and bolts together you're, or, or you're focusing on those corners, if you will, the rest of it does start to happen somewhat organically because, you know, you've you've obviously done something right to get to that number. The products are good. The stores are good. And as you build momentum and I think whether it's, you know, today we'd say viral through social media and, and back in the day we didn't have any of that. So you just had to rely on work word of mouth i certainly couldn't take a tv or radio or newsprint at it but (laughs) yeah
0: did you ever call just to get an idea of pricing and you thought okay maybe we've got 5k we can we can spend and it's it starts at like forty five thousand, and they even tell you don't buy just this because it won't give you enough you need to do it over a few weeks
1: well and not only that it, I remember in 1992, I've kept a letter. It was to uh, a buyer at the time, AMP Dominion, which is now Metro. And we wanted uh volume. We thought, you know, geez, if we just get in extra doors, we know we're doing well in all of the independence that we're in. And there's no difference between those. There's there's a, you know, a Metro down the street. So what, you know, we should be able to uh, have similar success and imagine times a hundred stores, not just 10. And uh, we sat down with the buyer in the 92 and the guy said, um, yeah, sure. Um, it'll be $90,000 to get in. That's for one tortilla chip and your mild medium salsa. And I looked at him and I said, oh. geez.
0: Well, I thought you were <laughs> supposed to be giving me the money.
1: Exactly. And I thought, geez, dude, I, I don't even make $30,000 a year. You know, I, I got married in 93 and my uh, T4 was $6,500. And I had bought a ring for my wife from Burks and I had to take a three-month payment plan. And I defaulted on the third one. Uh, I think up until several years ago, all of our credit cards are still my wife's name because of that credit rating, but, wow. but those are the realities, right, it is. you know, we, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> it absolutely is. And the, like, those are some of the low spots that, that we talk about. And it's, it's funny. I was talking to my, uh, my girlfriend before and just, when you go through the lows of other stuff happening to you, it's so different than the, the mental health lows, but that's just such the perfect example of like the true grind of being an entrepreneur and it being to take everything that you have to put it into your, your wedding and to be able to, to default and for decades after putting the credit cards in your wife's name and having that, that support.
1: You know, that didn't feel good. That was a struggle. And I would say some of those dark days in the mid nineties, you know, I was, I was wondering, you know, i I'm, I'm married and how am I ever going to provide? for my wife and for my kids. And uh, I went through a mild, I would say a, a mild depression that I wasn't even aware of at the time. Uh, looking back on it, to, um, probably 10 or 15 years after that, uh, I recognized that uh, I was stalled. I was, my, my brain was, uh, I think on auto. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't pushing the business as far as I could. And unfortunately around that time, we'd also started something called Y-E-A, um, Young Entrepreneurs association and we we grew up to about 150 members and it was a it was a dynamic little organization there's six of us who are fellow entrepreneurs including my brother chris and uh there were shared experiences and it started to really give you know mutual inspiration and 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 drive some energy and between that and i think within a few years of that um, more and more retailers were starting to buy natural buy organic buy local buy independent buy smaller and um it really helped you know you look at where we're at today you've got retailers of all sorts of size saying you know get me something like that get me uh, natural get me organic get me local out and and you can tell the story and promote your business through you know so many different uh, channels different voices through social media etc so it was just it was a complex and challenging time for us in the, in the 90s and thank goodness we stuck it through because now yeah it's uh I mean, gosh, it's fun to share some of those stories with people I sit down and talk with. It's fun to show them how I think it was far more difficult at the time. Um, Not to say, you know, 100% it's easier now, but I like to think that there's um, far more opportunity for a small, uh, new, visionary sort of product or brand to launch in today's market than far greater than it was back then.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think that the barriers to entry are lower, but the delta of getting started to growing has never been bigger it's easy to start but hard to get the the flywheel going or uh to quote you again the amount of fuel used for takeoff on the jet is you need more to take off than than necessarily before but you can get a plane or acquire that easier at least. That's how, how I feel. I really wanted to touch on when you have moments like uh, your wedding ring story or just something smaller, like you just have a, a major client say that they're really upset with the the quality. It can be personal. And that is one of the reasons why it's so important to celebrate, whether through uh, something small, like just enjoying a nice meal or treating yourself to uh, a nice bottle of wine. And I know that to celebrate uh, 30 years in business, you did the 30 acts of goodness What are some of the ways that, that you've been celebrating during the pandemic, especially when getting together over maybe food or music just isn't really safe or, or doable and what have been outside of the pandemic, some of the most memorable celebrations or moments that you've got to, that you've been able to, to celebrate and just kind of, you look back upon really fondly during, uh, during the career.
1: Yeah. Um, good question. Um, and, you know, I'll go back to my, my wise dad, who's a great guy. He's 82 and just a uh, very vibrant and still go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And he's just always, you know, very optimistic and, um, and pragmatic. And he said, uh, you know, from early on, you've, you've always got to celebrate those wins. Um, goodness knows you go through the trenches day after day, week after week, when you get a win, double down on, it, you know, pat yourself on the back and it doesn't have to be anything, um, special or extravagant, um, uh, or elaborate, but you know, find a way to celebrate. And, you know, I'm a creative guy and, you know, um, goodness knows when I was making five, 6,000 a year <laughs> married to my wife, uh, I had to find those little opportunities to spark things up for both of us. Um, and that was always my side of the marriage. It's always been, you know, creating those memories. And I probably spent far more money creating those memories, not just money, but time and energy and and, and creativity, creating those memories for my family and certainly for my wife and I. So, you know, you recognize those opportunities to, to celebrate in any way, shape, or form. You know, for us during um, COVID, you know, we'd moved into a new neighborhood, didn't know anybody, um, and then um, uh, Cinco de Mayo, um, and, and being a fan of Mexican and uh, Mexican food, et cetera, we yeah we hired a mariachi band to play on our front uh, lawn, and uh, suddenly we knew every neighbor. <laughs> yeah. And people were stopping their cars and they were coming by and they were saying thank you and they're dropping things off and welcome to the neighborhood. And, you know, that just filled so many of us with happiness back in May because, you yeah, know, no one knew what was going on with COVID and how it was outdoors and people were being careful with social distancing. So that, uh, that was certainly fun. And uh, we participated in the Great Canadian Kitchen Party, which had, you know, pivoted from, an, uh, you know, uh, an in-person, um, uh, you know, series of, of cooking, uh, events across Canada in celebration of, uh, special Olympics and Olympics. And they had pivoted into, you know, community food centers and a couple of other causes, and they did a series of online Wednesday nights. And, and um, I started doing a, a one hour show live before that featuring chefs from across North America and musicians, and we would have some live entertainment in our backyard and, you know, it was simple. Uh, Took some effort, but it was something from week to week to look forward to. My family looked forward to it. My, you know, I think my viewers and my friends on social media enjoyed it as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we ended up helping to raise $250,000 extra. Oh, wow. Just from our initiatives for community food centers. And I can't tell you what that felt like. I know Nick Saul, who works tirelessly with his teams trying to attract dollars and build, um, you know, his uh, centers across Canada to serve more and more people. It felt good to know that I could do something and and help grow those. And I've also agreed to take on a a 1 million plus capital campaign just the last couple of weeks. And that's fuel for me. That just feeds my, you know, um, (laughs) my competitive ego. But it also feeds my uh, the emotional side the uh, compassion give back side so those things have been good my wife and I would normally go to Mexico for our anniversary which was two weeks ago and we said you know we can't go but let's not be in this house and and feel like these four walls are caving in on us and we went off to an inn for the weekend and uh, enjoyed meals and uh, in a safe setting but you know that was a great celebration of our of our anniversary and and that's sacred to us so that felt good so there's always ways to do it yeah, maybe it's a picnic in the park, or, but you've got to take those opportunities. You know, um, a fancier bottle than usual of wine or champagne or sparkling. But yeah, I think it's hugely important to keep yourself fueled, keep yourself uh, on track, and remember what's important in life. It's not just the fight, uh, or you'll exhaust yourself.
0: Yeah, no, that's just absolutely. Beautiful. And I think that's a great moment to wrap it up. So Peter, where can people find you? Where can people find Neil Brothers products and some of the brands that you distribute as well as where can people find a little bit more information about community food centers, Canada, some of your mental health initiatives and, and some of the type one diabetes causes that that you and your brother and all of the Neil Brothers support?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, certainly a, a percentage of what my brother and I take out of our brand and our distribution goes to fuel uh, a few different charitable uh, causes. that used to be we'd splatter, you know, $5 everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> we're a little more focused on, um, you know, my brother Chris's daughter, uh, Zoe, has uh, type 1 diabetes and um, there's a give there. There's going to be more gives to mental health because we've had it in uh, our family. I don't know what family, you know, is is immune to it, but certainly after what I went through uh, four months of hell and suicidal uh, ideation for weeks last fall. I, um, I'm I'm channeling more of my time and energy and money towards mental health, and community food centers will always be there. So community food centers, Canada, you can uh, find them on, on you know, find their website for sure, and see them on Instagram and and other social outlets. And, you know, we will continue to work towards that. I've got a business that is developing a whole line of men's underwear called Manly, M A N L E Y, Manly Briefs or Manly Barrier Apparel. And that we are hoping will serve as an impetus to for, for men's mental health, for men to share because they don't do a good job of it right now and to raise meaningful money for men's mental health causes. So that is starting in about uh, two months. So you can Manly Barrier Apparel is something that people could follow along and, and engage in our community. We're super excited about that. Um, and our products are, are located just about anywhere you'd find you know, good food, certainly the bigger chains across the country. You can think of who they all are. Uh, great outlets like um, you know, Farm Boy and Longos and you know, the, the finer food shops in, in so many of our communities across Canada. Well.ca is a great opportunity. And we're actually going to be having our own direct-to-consumer e-commerce site featuring some of our, our uh, newer products in about uh, a month. So at oh, cool. uh, N-E-A-L, Brothersfoods.com.
0: As you've heard throughout the podcast, Peter's got a lot of different plates coming out of his kitchen. So one of the best ways to keep in touch with him and see what he's up to is to follow him on Twitter at neil one or visit their website NeilBrothersFoods.com. And normally I'd ask you to subscribe or leave a review on Apple, but if you have a few extra dollars while you're listening to this, find a local food bank, find a cause that matters to you. And let's see if we can all donate five bucks to make a difference to someone else. Join me next week as I continue the theme of food and beverage, talking to Kara Golden. You probably know her as the founder of Hint, but... She really is a remarkable founder, and she recently published her first book, Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters, which, if you haven't guessed already, there's no shortage of. I really enjoyed this conversation, and the episode might run a little bit long, but there's just so much to soak in. I hope you'll join us next week. But until then, I'm going to grab some Neil Brothers chips and salsa, roll up a burrito, because it's quitting time.